The Canadian immigration process can be complex and frustrating. With the Canadian Immigration Department making it virtually impossible to speak to an officer, there are few places to turn to for trusted information. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest on immigration law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy, as he is joined by industry leaders across Canada, sharing insight to help you along your way. Well, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I am your host, Mark Holthy, and I'm not here alone. Attending today, we have Alicia, Igor, Prem, and Chanel. How are you guys doing? Doing great. How are you, Mark? Doing well. Excellent. Well, we've got Chanel. Where Where are you joining from today? I'm actually overseas right now, joining from Brazil, where it's beautiful, sunny and hot, escaping a little bit of that cold Toronto winter. So it's lovely down here. And luckily, the time zone is really similar. So it's a great place to still connect and get some work done. Excellent. And then the rest of us, Prem and I are in Lethbridge and, uh, and uh, Alicia and Igor are in Calgary. So we are delighted to be back. We thought we'd start off with a few little current affairs topics. And I guess the first and most timely one is yesterday, March the 15th, there was the second largest express entry round of invitation ever. Second alone to that magical February the 13th date of 2021 when they invited, it was about 27,000 223 or something uh, individuals. This one was 7,000. And uh, that one was a CEC. This one is a no program specified draw. And because they had delayed for, you know, really, it was almost two months, I guess, between these no program specified draws, they'd filled in an FSW, they filled in a few PNPs. And in that, uh, that gap from the last one, January the 18th until yesterday, March the 15th, um, candidates kept piling into the pool. So the round actually only dropped down to 490, which was pretty much the level of the previous January the 18th one. So it's interesting to see in that time span, 7,000 people piled into the pool, well, or people that had declined and then chosen to go back in. But that's a lot of people who have an interest in coming to Canada. And so what are your thoughts on this, you guys? Is this, you know, is this somewhat of an indicator that, you know, the minister is doing one last ditch, no program specified before he transitions into the targeted draws, which are supposed to start in the spring, which is what, March the 20, 20th or something. when does spring start for us here? Oh gosh. It, I think everybody in Calgary and Alberta is wondering when spring starts this year. It's been extremely cold, but in terms of my take on whether this is going to be the last no program specified draw until we have the targeted draws. I don't know, They're, and we'll talk about this coming up in a second too, but they had this big kind of conference with all of the provincial and territorial ministers and the federal government, and they're trying to figure out, okay, well, how are the federal governments and the provincial governments going to better collaborate in terms of the provincial governments having more 
say on who comes to their provinces. And so that, I don't know, I'm not sure if that collaboration discussion will be finished by two weeks from now. So maybe they will have some more program specified draws. And one thing, you know, the one thing that we do know is that immigration is alive and well in the country and that they are actively looking to bring people in. And the no program specified draws, I would suspect that many of them are already in Canada because of the bonus points with Canadian experience, whether that's education or work. But individuals that speak French have a leg up and they probably are filling the ranks as well. So it's interesting to see what the split would be of in Canada versus outside Canada candidates. Um, but you know, it was also very surprising to see that they did that FSW draw, that, that standalone one, which we've talked about in the past. So we'll see where this goes, but there's going to be a lot of happy people and there's going to be a lot of upset, frustrated people, in particular, those international students. And um, I just refer people back to the blog post that I did. You can go to our website, healthylaw.com, and just review um, a post that, that I uh, released, I think it was about three or four weeks ago, called Change which uh, is essentially my takeaways for where I think the minister is going to go with these targeted draws. But, but more than ever before, industries are going to be driving this process, whether it's um, you know, people that are studying in certain industries or they're working in certain industries that are on the government's targeted you know, um, list. We'll see how it all unfolds. And now a message from our sponsor. Journey Business Plans is the leading immigration business plan writing service provider in Canada. With more than 10 years of experience, Journey has grown to become a trusted partner for immigration consultants and lawyers. Journey focuses on preparing business plans for ICTs, startup visas, significant benefits, self-employed PNPs, and so much more. Their main competitive advantage is reliability, responsiveness, and overall customer service. For those of you who don't yet know about Journey, ask your colleagues about them. They're amazing. Or even better, try out their work. I know I have. You can visit their website at www.journey.ca. That's J-O-O-R-N-E-Y.ca. And mention you listen to my podcast. Use the code HOLTHYJOURNEY10. That's H-O-L-T-H-E-J-O-O-R-N-E-Y number 10 and it will provide you with a 10% discount on the first business plan for new lawyers. All right. Thanks so much, Journey. We really appreciate your sponsorship. And by all means, you guys, check them out. All right. Um, one other thing as we transition, and Alicia alluded to it, the provincial ministers met recently for a little roundtable discussion to talk about, among things, the future of immigration and, uh, you know, Alicia, do you want to drive that ship forward and, and just give a couple little highlights from what was uh, what was discussed in those meetings? Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah. So there was a news release and it was March 10th. So I don't know if the ministers were meeting over the weekend or if they just released it then, but they were meeting in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and it was called the Forum of Ministers Responsible for Immigration. So they shortened that to the FMRI. And... The provincial and territorial ministers, as well as the federal government, were looking at all sorts of things with immigration policy. And one of the big things that we have noticed is that the provinces, the PNP programs, have a large 44% 
increase in terms of the allocations each province is able to nominate for the 2023 year. And apparently they also are looking at a plan for notional increases or allocations for 2024 and for 2025. So they, this is consistent with what we've been noticing in terms of the foreshadowing from the Minister of Immigration about having more say. The provinces get to have a little bit more input in terms of who they are trying to find to fit the labor and regional economic needs. And so we know constitutional law, we know that immigration is a federal jurisdiction, but it's also there are some some things that are shared by the provinces. And so one of them is figuring out how we're going to allocate and find people that are going to be most beneficial for each province and territory. So that's been going on. The ministers also discussed Ukraine and what, what's happening with Ukraine and the Canadian programs, specifically the CUAET. And I know a lot of people are kind of on pins and needles trying to figure out, will that program continue past March 31st, 2023, because it's currently set to expire. And we will have to see. There is no decision yet, but hopefully some, some news will be coming, whether it's that CUAET will actually be retired or maybe there will be some sort of new program. We're hoping that there will be announcements about a new program for permanent residency to try to have a pathway to PR for people who have come here, Ukrainians who have come to Canada and who are working here. We'll see too what happens, but the ministers were discussing internationally educated healthcare professionals and they're talking about how to provide a better system going forward, collaboration, collaborating on immigration targets and continuing programs that are regionally focused like the Atlantic Immigration Program. So more, more collaboration, more input from the provinces going forward and that continues to be the case and it may be reflected in what's happening with these new targeted draws under express entry. So we will see how all this unfolds. Yes, and obviously the minister, the federal government is not in near the position that the provinces are to determine what labor needs really are. So it's not surprising that there's this shift and that the provinces are wanting more ownership over the individuals actually living in their provinces, as well as the federal government saying, look, we've got so many things on the go. Um, you know, it's nice to be able to push some of this off on the provinces because really they're, they're, they're in, in the best position to understand what the economic needs are of the country. So we'll see how that unfolds. The minister has indicated in the spring of 2023, he will be uh, starting those targeted draws. Well, I think the spring starts March 20th here. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, if indeed this this last large draw is uh, you know a precursor to then shifting to more targeted draws, okay, let's shift to one of the other elephants in the room, which is these awful processing times. Um, and I think we've expected that things would get better and better, and in some cases we are seeing improvements. And we'll talk a little bit about that with some of our clients. But the reality is they still. You know, I think last year the, the IRCC indicated that they had um, processed over 5 million applications. We don't know exactly, you know, well, I guess we do know, but, you know, the spread between permanent and temporary applications, um, you know, I don't have that data, but over 5 million applications. But just this morning, there was a CBC article uh, entitled Record, Record-Breaking Number of Immigration Cases Went Through the Federal Court in 2022. And uh, two of our fellow colleagues, um, Barb Jackman, and uh, uh, out of uh, Toronto and Jacqueline Bonestiel were, uh, were featured kind of in that article. And uh, it, it basically states, here, I'll read just a few sections from it and then we can chat about it. Canada's federal court saw more 
new immigration proceedings in 2022 than any of the past 30 years, which some lawyers say is a sign of an overburdened system. Recent statistics posted to the court's website show more than 70% of its cases were tied to immigration and refugees as of late 2022, which is not surprising. And in total, the court saw 13,487 new proceedings in 2022, which is up from about 9,761 in, in 21 and 6,424 in 20, according to the Office of Chief Justice Paul Crampton. And uh, the article says lawyers who work with immigration applications say the surge in proceedings making their way to the federal court is a response to delays and refusals at IRCC, which is not surprising. Right. When you think of the volume of applications, if they're pumped through five million last year, they're looking for all kinds of efficiencies, whether they're using advanced analytics or whatever. And mistakes happen. And when people have no recourse and an application was wrongly refused, well, then a leave application is the way to go. But um, uh, one of the lawyers, uh, Jacqueline Bonestiel, she says that uh, an increase in mandamus applications used to compel IRCC to issue decisions in a timely fashion after considerable delays is at least partially driving the spike in new immigration proceedings, which is which is not surprising, right? It's a last resort. Your application is languished and and uh, and Jacqueline, you know, she also commented commented that the thing with that remedy is it's quite effective most of the time. And uh, Alicia, you've got some experience recently with with that, or at least a, a suggestion that that's the direction you're going to go. Um, maybe you can share a little bit of insight on on an experience that you had. Yeah, I, and I'm very glad that finally there has been movement on on some of these files. But I've been assisting some individuals with international adoption cases, which are actually grants of citizenship. And so this is not a sponsorship case. This is a grant to citizenship for children. And those cases were were terribly backlogged. And it is really frustrating. It is so heartbreaking for the families and for the kids who are stranded overseas. And finally, finally, but only after basically sending a demand letter and saying there's been no material step in this file for over 10 months, was there any sort of response? And that's really a shame. Um, and I mean, it's, it's problematic that there is no real update from immigration or from officers and families are torn apart and they're left waiting. And so hopefully IRCC can have better processing in terms of their tracking systems, in terms of communication and transparency with applicants, and in terms of having some sort of real feedback mechanism where you can have a web form inquiry or a new better system of uploading documents specific to your case that is actually acknowledged within a very short period of time rather than months later, as we've seen on web forms in the last little while. Yeah. And clearly the pandemic and, and these, you know, circumstances technically outside of the control of IRCC has forced the program to modernize. And, you know, they're looking at a number of different ways to address these huge backlogs and to eliminate the need to go to federal court. Um, one of the things we've learned about is the new office that they're establishing in the Philippines, which is designed to uh, address at least in that particular region of the world, the high, high volumes of applications. Um, what do we know about that, Alicia? So this was a March 3rd news release. And so it's part of the Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy. And we have 
I mean, a huge part of the population of the planet is living in the Indo-Pacific region. And so there is a new Canadian processing centre. So the embassy in Manila will be supported by 37 new employees. And as we know, it's no longer if you live in one country, you submit an application to that country, it gets processed in that country. So just because they're having new employees in one centre, um, those resources are allocated for the entire region. and. In fact, if there's capacity in that region, they will kind of move files around all over the world. So hopefully this will be a positive development in terms of making sure that we can have more volume of applications processed in a more timely and responsive fashion. I'm going to bring up a hypocritical aspect of this. That's my job. So for years, the ESDC process, you know, they really, really... Uh, how I better be careful how I how I talk about this, but it, companies that had offshored or outsourced elements of their business in a way that eliminated opportunities for jobs for Canadians were publicly shamed. I remember RBC got into a bunch of trouble because they were bringing in workers um, and they had contracted with a separate company who was using the intercompany transfer process to uh, bring in workers from India you know, to fill tech jobs, to outsource elements of the, you know, certain divisions of the, of the business, of the bank. Um, and it got word by CBC and some of the other news outlets that Canadians were losing their jobs as they outsourced. Well, my goodness, you know, how much of an element of cost efficient, you know, savings and efficiency exists if we have this global network where people can process applications anywhere? Why are we not creating jobs in Canada and setting up these processing centers in, um, you know, in Champion, Alberta, fine place where I went to junior high school. Um, like, why are we not doing that and creating jobs, you know, for Canadians? Maybe the answer is, well, Canadians don't want to do those jobs. Well, maybe, but I think sitting around processing applications is a pretty sweet deal versus mucking around in the cow manure in a feedlot. So why not? So I'd love to see what, you know, how the government feels about this, setting up this massive processing center overseas. It may be because time zones and understanding of the local, you know, dynamics when it comes to source documents and things, maybe that plays a role. Maybe it does. But in our virtual world, I would think that they would consider doing something in Canada. Um, but how much is the cost of doing that playing a role? And so I always find it a little bit hypocritical when companies who do, uh, you know, offshore are, are, you know, publicly or privately shamed when the government themselves are doing it. So I'll leave that aside because I think regardless of that little anecdote, they are, you know, it's positive no matter what they do to try to address these backlogs. And even us within our own clients that we're acting for, we look at the processing times on the website, which are now an accurate reflection thanks to you know, some discussions I had with my fellow table officers back with the CBA um, back at the, the beginning of 2022. We met with the minister and I remember I specifically pointed out to him that it doesn't help to process to post processing times that that are your service level standard and not the reality. So, for example, they had consistently listed all through the pandemic processing times for express entry at six months and spousal sponsorships at 12 months, when in reality it had climbed up to as much as 23 months and beyond. And so people would expect, oh, it's only six months processing. I'm going to do this and then quit their job and do a bunch of things that you know, in preparation for coming to Canada only to be left languishing. So fortunately, after that discussion, and I'm sure there were a lot of people that had pointed this out to the minister, they now start pros posting processing times that are more accurate. 
And it's a classic situation now of under-promising and over-delivering, which is the opposite to what it was before because we're seeing clients that are getting applications processed pretty quick. So Chanel, you've had recently a few applications that you know, take the spousal sponsorship route where it's, you know, the processing times are up above a year. Um, we've had some positives, haven't we? Yeah, we've had quite a few recently processed in between four to six months. Um, and they're not even the quickest applications. We've seen express entry applicants who submitted towards the end of last year, early this year, already getting processed. I think Alicia and I both had a couple of really quick ones the other other day um, within a few days of each other where they were processed in less than two and a half months, which that's even quick for pre-pandemic processing times. So I always advise clients, you know, don't let the processing times advertise scare you, especially new clients submitting applications now, because really those processing times we're seeing advertised refer to applicants who um, submitted during the pandemic, have been caught in that backlog. And yes, treat them like the worst case scenario, because you never know, you could get unlucky. But based on what we're seeing with recent PR applications, they're being processed within a few months. So don't quit your job just yet and, and make those plans. Wait till you have a decision just in case, um, but don't let it scare you off into thinking you're going to be waiting another year or two before you can come to Canada. Yeah. And obviously, you know, the moment you have any request from immigration on your files, it throws you outside of these standard processing times, which I had a discussion with a client yeah. just yesterday about that. But, you know, when we look at express entry, take the in Canada, which are the ones that tend to go a little bit quicker, the Canadian experience class, you know, they, they're posting 12 months right now. And for the spousal sponsorships, also in Canada, through the in-Canada class, um, 13 months. So, you know, obviously there are individuals that file applications that are not complete and don't get returned, but there is a request for more information that also adjusts these processing times. But like I said, it's far better for the government to under-promise and over-deliver than the other way of, of you know, saying it was going to be six months and then taking 25 months. So kudos to the government on that front. <laughs> so that's, that is a positive. Um, one other thing that I'm seeing you guys is people, obviously for years and years, you can go to the website as long as the government's had a website that basically says you don't need to hire someone to help you. And this is a, a battle that we've had for so many years, you know, feeling like the government doesn't really treat us as, as stakeholders in, in, in the process and that they'd actually like to have us just go away and deal directly with the clients. And I guess to some extent, we've transformed our firm to better accommodate for that reality, providing support to our clients, but yet at the same time, allowing them to be the main point of contact. But more and more, I'm seeing people who are submitting applications and they're simple little mistakes and they had no clue that they'd made mistakes. And I just finished yesterday reviewing a response uh, Basically, it was an unsolicited response, a, a letter of explanation that a client wanted to submit because after connecting with us, and I don't know if it was reading a blog post or watching one of our videos on the Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, she realized that she made a whole bunch of mistakes in her express entry application. And now she's panicking because she thinks, okay, well, it's probably going to get refused. So we took steps to try to update it and correct it, you know, including horrible things, Alicia, like failing to disclose prior visa refusals. And so these are very serious things that people just had no clue about. So we addressed it and we submitted through a web form and now it's, you know, basically say a prayer and hope that, you know, it'll catch up to the file and that they'll accept it even after the file had been submitted. 
So boy, I don't know if you guys have had any similar experiences to this. Um, and that's not even a bad experience yet because we don't know the result, but we know there's been ones where we can't help at all. Igor, you've got uh, some thoughts on this. Yeah, I was approached by a friend of mine with whom we used to study back in Ukraine. And so she's here with her um, whole family and her minor brother has a passport that was expiring. And um, so they've extended the passport and now they approached saying, like, can you help us with um, visitor visa, visitor record extension? And so they had a question like, so, okay, if the government says it's so easy to apply for a visitor record extension, how do we do it? And so they were so confused between those portals. You have the RCC portal, the GC key. And then when they get to the GC key, like, how do they even start an application? Like, should they create a GC key account for his bro- uh, for her brother? Should they create an account for his uh, her mother? And then how they submit an application? Like, when they have an account created for her mother, do they include two people in the application or just one person? And so that's all so confusing, and there's definitely not a clear explanation on a government website as to how to approach this specific situation. And so, I don't know, like, I think they probably should um, change the procedures a little or provide a little more (laughs) clear guidance to clients and then advice to not hire a lawyer. Yeah. All right. Let's let's take a quick step back. This is probably appropriate. This is where when you've been practicing for however many years, you know, we've been at this. It it probably makes sense to, to explain how in the world we got into this mess. So it all starts with the the old CAPES system of, gov- uh, of tracking files and, and the online system it used to be called CAPES, the overseas offices. They used CAPES and then the border used FOSS. And then they decided we're going to create GCMS, a one consolidated place where all immigration information is housed. And uh, so they created that. And I remember I was a hearings officer. Um, I worked with the hearings officers downtown Calgary as a pro bono slave, they called me. It's true. They didn't pay me, but it was a good experience. And um, one of the hearings officers, Kathy King, was involved in some of the initial discussions with the creation of GCMS. It took forever for that system to actually get set up and created. Finally, it was launched. And basically, until today, it has been the system that the government has used. Now, there's been millions of dollars that have been allocated through budgets. We're talking millions, like 40 plus or more. I don't know, maybe it's even more that have been allocated to try to fix the situation. But GCMS is now like a computer with a hard drive that's 99% full. You know what happens. It crashes and you've got lots of problems. Well, with the volumes of applications and as you have changes in governments and changes in priorities, you know, money was not put into the system to maintain it properly. So it became overburdened. And it reached this stage where they had to figure out how in the heck do we sort this out? So they started creating these separate portals, Igor. So previously, all the visitor visa applications were submitted through this. So then they thought, okay, we're going to create a, a TR portal for, for visitors and students. Okay, but then they kind of kept it kind of secret. They didn't really post it or advertise it. They said, well, representatives, we don't want you to use this, only individuals. And, um, and that was just one example. And now we have, I don't know how many portals different, different, um, you know, different pathways and different logins, you know, there's a PR portal, there's, you know, the, like I said, the TR one, there's just a whole bunch. And this is where, you know, all designed to try to get people out of GCMS so that the system doesn't crash. And, uh, so we'll see how things unfold over the, the coming years. And, uh, but this is not surprising. 
So you've get people who yeah. are just totally stuck. And that's bizarre. Like even with thirty permits, you can submit it through two different portals. Yeah. And it's so confusing to people unless they hire a representative. How would they know? Well, they also know Igor if they subscribe to the study permit course, which we created earlier this year, right? Where we go into detail why we have two portals and the advantages and disadvantages of using one over over the over another. And sometimes you have to read the fine details, like these attestations and things when you're signing off. That, uh, you know, but we won't get into that in detail. But there's, you know, if you want to find more information, go to the Canadian Immigration Institute or follow any of the things that we're doing out there. You can find links to get access to that course. But yeah, it's a strange world that we're in here. And maybe eventually they'll consolidate everything back into one once they have a system that they've put in place. But it's, it's a real challenge. All right. Uh, I think we pretty much beat all of those discussions to a pulp. But now it is time for what I'm now calling, even after one trivia competition, this is the impossible Canadian trivia. And so we'll see how we fare this time. Mr. Igor is going to be taking over here. Igor, turning it over to you. Welcome everyone to the second episode of the trivia. And I would want to remind that the winner of the first trivia was Alicia Backman Bihari. She is now officially the smartest person in the world because nobody else could answer as many questions as Alicia could. I promised to make the second episode just a little easier and more interactive yes and actually igor on threat of termination of his job with the firm was instructed to not make it uh, as difficult i actually just as a side note sent this out to the questions and and asked some of my uh, some of the most intelligent brightest colleagues that i had out there to see how many they could get and i'll be honest i didn't feel so bad because i just got two and they were the same. They were able to get two out of the 10 questions. So no pressure, Igor, here, none whatsoever. But we are super excited to give this a whirl. We'll start with the first question and let me know, guys, when you're ready. And so just to remind our listeners, we have four categories. Our categories are geography, culture, history, and immigration law in Canada. So we'll start off with the geography question first. And this one is a tricky one. It will kind of resemble the episode one of the Canadian Immigration Trivia. So the question is, not a single road leads to this place. It is impossible to get there by car. And yes, I'm not talking about an island. This place is not separated by water. It's not a specific village or a city. But what is this place? Oh my goodness, Igor, read it again. <laughs> All right, so yes, so uh, I'll explain it in a little simpler terms. Um, there is not a single road that leads to this place, and this is not an island, a village, or a city. But it's in Canada. So what is this place? It's not a city? Like you're talking about a geographic feature? Like the top of a mountain. So it's the, 
no 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 so it's not a mountain it's it's something that you would expect to have a road to but there is not a road that's lead, that leads to this place you would be surprised trust me i don't think hell is located in canada igor but i guess there are roads to hell isn't there although this question is bordering well, on hell igor <laughs> well hell is hot right <laughs> this place is cold like, nothing is hot in Canada, unless it's Ontario in July. I'm gonna need Prem to vet your questions here. Okay. Uh, really hot. <laughs> it's a hot one. I'm gonna give a yes. very general answer. Yeah, like, I'll have to give you a hint. This is not a small place that I'm talking about. It's not small. Like, you would be surprised and it's to know that there is not a single road. But it's a geographic it's not area. Like, are you looking for a geographic area? It's a area? geographic home. Exactly. Yes. And another hint, it's on the um, mainland Canada. It's not like a Vancouver Island, you know, and there's like a campground that there is no road leading to it. But it's something big. Remembering spelling is not important here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So are you guys ready to present your answers and guesses? Because I guess nobody has an answer. Everyone has a guess. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's reveal the answers. Three, two, one. Okay. So I see Mark says Nunavut. Alicia says Icebridge to Nunavut. Chanel says... Assiniboine Lodge, and then Prem says Yukon. And da -da 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 -da, the correct answer is Nunavut. It's not possible to drive to Nunavut because there are no roads connecting it to other parts of Canada. In fact, there are no roads in between the 25 separate communities that inhabit the territory. Instead, you can reach Nunavut by airplane using either Comair International or Canadian North. There are approximately 39,000 people who live in Nunavut, and the area of this territory is as large as 2.093 million kilometers. So, that being said, I think we have two people who got the answer right. That's Mark and Alicia. It took a whole lot more prodding, my friend, to figure out what the heck you were asking. <laughs> yeah, lots of tips. Lots of tips this time. All right. But it was fun, right? Like, it's surprising that a large territory like none of it is not connected to mainland Canada. Yeah. I was planning a road trip for my new vehicle. Apparently, none of it is not on the list anymore. <laughs> Igor, in the short span that you've been here in Canada, you have been to more places, I think, than I have in my 50 years of life, especially Alberta. So kudos to you and your, your wife for your adventurous spirit. Thank you. Yeah, I think like the craziest place I've been to and craziest thing I've done in Canada is like staying overnights at Mount Temple. And I'm not exactly sure how legal is that, but um, it was it was fun. We were joined by a group of um, people who came from Quebec and they also enjoyed the sunrise, but it was so cold. It was like minus 15 Celsius, like, and it was August, uh, the warmest it can get on uh, Mount Temple. 
All right, but guys, let's move to the second question. And this one is also fun. Hockey is certainly a national sport in Canada, but there's also another national sport in Canada. What is it? So just to recap, there are two national sports in Canada. One of them is hockey, and what is the other one? And considering the looks on your faces, I think you all have the answer. So at three, two, one, you can reveal it. Okay, so Mark says lacrosse, Alicia says curling, Chanel says curling, and then Prem, can you move it just a little? Okay, football. So Prem says football. So we have just one person who got it right. Guess who that is? Da -da 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 -da. That's Mark. So yes, lacrosse is actually a national sport in Canada. It is the national sport little... of Canada, Igor. Although people feel like hockey is, lacrosse was actually was the national sport. I know because I was a kinesiology major in, in university. And I remember learning about that back in whenever it was, 1998 or something in one of my classes. I was like, seriously? Like who plays lacrosse? And, you know, now we do have some indoor lacrosse leagues, but we're talking outdoor lacrosse. So, yeah, fascinating. Yeah. And in fact, so here's a little story about it. So hockey and lacrosse are national sports in Canada, as declared by the National Sports of Canada Act. Lacrosse has its origins in a tribal game played by Eastern Woodland Native Americans and by some Plain Indian tribes uh, in what is now the United States of America and Canada. Patriot William George Beers is known as the father of modern lacrosse. In 1860s, he produced a pamphlet that detailed the rules and the instructions for the sport. He also replaced the deerskin ball with one made from hard rubber. And that ball hurts. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> it's ironic that the two ball, you know, the two, you know, projectiles for hockey and lacrosse are like rock hard. So apparently, they, you know, they haven't realized that in a colder temperature, those objects are more painful. It's kind of like playing paintball with your friends in December. It's not as fun as doing it in August on the top of, you know, the mount you were sleeping on, Igor. Yeah. All right. So congratulations, Mark. Mark has two points in this game. And as I promised, this game is a little easier. It is, Igor. So, I'll, I think you're saving your job with the firm. <laughs> Finally. The next question is from the history section. How many points does the maple leaf on the flag of Canada? Don't be looking around. Canadian flag, how many points on the maple leaf? Now we're just talking points on the leaf? Yes. Oh, I might get this wrong. So yeah, so how many points are there on the Canadian maple leaf on the flag? I'm going to change my answer. But I'll leave it up so you can see how smart I was before I changed it. Prem will get this one because I know he's got a Canadian flag up on his wall and he's been looking at it and counting. I could probably just turn... Oh, 
you remember in my camera, I used to have those flags actually in my display behind me. Um, uh-huh. I was thinking, oh man, they're probably looking at my screen. Don't, don't you have a flag above you? I used to. Yeah, I changed it. Oh, I don't do. You have a there is one right above there. Oh, no zooming in. Oh, Mark. Oh my God, Mark. There is Canadian flag think, on your T-shirt. I think there's Canadian. Oh, t-shirt. they're, they're yeah. on my there's T-shirt. There's like oh, seventy-five of them. Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> these aren't these aren't the ones that are on the flag though. If you count these, you're wrong. I think there's too many. I forgot I was wearing my festive Canadian. I drew shirt. a picture. I drew a picture for my answer. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I think I'm. I think I got it wrong. I think I got it wrong. But that's okay. So yeah, guys, reveal your answers. At three, two, one. Okay. So I see Mark says seven. Alicia says eleven. Chanel and Pram both say nine. And we also have just one winner. Who's that? Alicia. Alicia? Thing. Alicia. Yeah. But do you know why? It's because of the bottom. little leaf bits at yeah, the, bottom. the bottom. I had ones. to draw it to remember. Yeah. I thought maybe, the bottom leaf like bits. I was so confused. I was thinking, okay, maybe there's just two in the bottom. Because I was like counting. I knew there was three. And I thought, well, maybe it's too easy. Maybe it's only, only seven. But whatever. Got it wrong. But guys, do you think it makes sense, like, to have eleven points on a Canadian leaf, and why, Alicia? What's your guess? The eleven territory? Oh no, sorry. Um, I think Prem. I yeah, think you're the on province. the right territory. Territory. Yeah. You're yeah. in the right territory, my friend. Yeah, provinces <laughs> and territories. Do we have eleven territories in Canada? Not territories, but but provinces and, provinces, and sorry. collective no. members of the. So, so, how many provinces do we have then? Ten. 13? We have 10 provinces. Provinces. Yeah. Then why 11 points on the leaf? Well, maybe Yukon or Northwest Territories? Well, there are three territories. And yeah, but they provinces. weren't at the time in which the, the flag was created. Like Nineveh didn't exist at the time the flag was created. And at the time, was, was Newfoundland a part of it? Or who was the late adopter, PEI? Maybe at the time, one of the Atlantic provinces, I thought maybe wasn't a part of it. Was it 19... 40s in the 40s or something they joined on i can't remember and then maybe we had the territories at the beginning so maybe there were actually only nine and then two territories well you you guys would be surprised but um yes indeed today canada canadian flag has 11 points on the maple leaf but originally the canadian flag was designed with 13 points to represent 10 provinces and three territories and it was changed to 11 points just of a simple reason, because it was hard to see the maple leaf shape from a distance. Isn't that cool? Okay, I'm going to challenge you, Igor. This is my job here, too. So you're saying three territories at the time. So what, what year are we talking about here? Let's check that on Google. Cause... <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, it's fine. This is a good follow-up. Okay, so, so in our next episode, this is going to be... A, and if you, as a viewer, have a different opinion on anything we talk about here, send an email. And, and I- I- Igor, what's the email for comments from the listeners? Trivia at HealthyLaw.com. Yeah. Send an email to Trivia at HealthyLaw.com if you disagree with anything that we've discussed here. Or you feel like we've made a mistake in something that we're talking about because we love to hear from our viewers. So in the next episode, we'll clarify the mystery of the Canadian flag uh, points and um, Igor's assertion that there were three territories at the time. So uh, when the original flag was well, created, well, no. 
I'm not asserting that there were 13, ter uh, 13 regions in, in our country. Um, in fact, um, like what I see on Google search right now Cheater. is the flag was adopted on February 15, 1965. Yes. So yeah, like Nunavut became a territory in 1999. Yes. So there's a little conspiracy theory. Maybe they knew. <laughs> okay, we'll clear it up next round. <laughs> Yeah, but so congratulations. So we have two people who have two points. So Mark has two points and Alicia has two points. Sounds familiar. And this is the point where then Alicia, she uh, she took off. Yeah. All right. So, okay. We'll move on to the immigration section. And the question is, what happened on February 2nd, 2023? And why this day is unique in the context of economic immigration programs in Canada? So yeah, think about February 2nd, 2023, and why this day is unique and important. So something that happened on February 2nd never ever happened before. Okay, we're ready, let's go. I don't, I don't have an Marcus answer yet. Neither does Chanel, we're not alone here. <laughs> Alicia has the answer. Alicia's obviously going to get the point again. Come on. Think, think, think. February the 2nd. Read the question one more time. Yeah, Mark. So what happened on February 2nd, 2023 that is unique and never happened ever before? For, for what? This day will go for in the immigration purposes, for the government of Canada purposes. For economic programs, I would be even more specific in Canada. I got, I, got a, I got an answer. I think I might be onto it with Alicia. Okay, took me a while. I'm on track. Okay. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Yeah, I'm good. So. Oh, man. This is class. That would have been embarrassing. Three. It's that one. Two. <laughs> one. And guys, release your answers. Okay, Prem, do you have an answer? I don't. Yeah, I don't have. Okay, so yes, um, Mark, Alicia, and Chanel, all three of them said that this is the day when we had a first ever expert-century federal skilled worker draw, with 3,300 3, invitations and 489 CRS cutoff score. And congratulations, all three of you got it right. Unfortunately, been... Prem did not have an answer this time. So gets no point <laughs> sorry Prem that's fine but good job guys good job I tried to make it a little easier but the next question is not easy but it's nevertheless interesting one it also deals with Canadian geography so we move back to the geography section this time so letters addressed to the postal code H0H0H0 are delivered to this place. What is this place? So again, the postal code is H0H0H0. And so if you send a letter to the postal code H0H0H0, it will get delivered to this place. And I think how I asked it. 
Three, don't say the answer. No. You better not. Did you guys hear Siri trying to answer the question for you? <laughs> no. <laughs> See, even Siri knows okay, the answer. So. Yeah, like, I don't know, maybe our listeners didn't hear it, but no. somehow I activated Siri. S-I-R-I, I would not pronounce her name. With my sake. And she almost pronounced the answer, which would ruin our trivia. Okay. <laughs> So, I understand everyone has the answer now, so you can reveal it at 3, 2, 1. Oh yeah, okay. Prem, I don't see your answer. Can you move it? North Pole. Okay, so Mark says North Pole, Alicia says Santa's workshop at the North Pole, Chanel says North Pole, and Prem says North Pole, and I congratulate you guys this time. All of you got it right. Yay. So yes, it is the North Pole. Do you know how many letters um, are being sent to that postal code each year? 40,000. Alicia, your guess? I'd say over a million. Chanel? Half a million. And Prem? Uh, maybe two million. Okay, so 1.6 million letters are sent to that postal code each year. Uh, Isn't that crazy? See, see, I was thinking those that number of letters from Canadian children. But technically, you're saying people could send them from all over the world to Ho Ho Ho. Yeah, potentially. Why not? Yeah. And consider that. I'm going to try it. That's I'm going to try. That's so it. crazy. I'm go, next time I'm overseas, I'm going to send a letter to Ho 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 as a postal code. And it, it's it's funny. So they have volunteers who reply to all of those messages. Really? Like to all of those. Yeah. Wow. So Mark, if you send a letter to Ho Ho Ho, being in somewhere in South Africa, like they would potentially send a reply back. They would back. mail back to South Africa. I'd love to see that. That'd be cool. And wait, wait, Igor. By volunteers, you actually mean elves, right? Because this is a child-friendly show. Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. This is helpers. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Thanks. like Elf, the greatest show of all time. We know Buddy, he came down from the north. He's the greatest elf of all time. Even mm -hmm. though he technically wasn't an elf, he's a human. But Buddy the Elf, is he's the, he's the, the king. Okay. So, yeah, congratulations, guys. All four of you got it right. And we, we move on to the next question, which is Canadians eat more of these than anyone else in the world. So you guys, you, Mark, Alicia, Chanel, and Prem, eat more of these things than anyone else in the world. I think I know this. Let me mislead you a little. Maybe it's an ice cream. Eat more Maybe of these. Like that form. question you had before about brand. the ketchup chips, yeah. I don't know if I can get this one. So yeah, what guys you eat more than anyone else in the world? As a nation, I mean, maybe someone doesn't like it. <laughs> well, you say 
eat more of these, it's almost like an individual item as opposed to like a recipe concocted with fries and gravy and cheese curds. So, mm -hmm. dang. Yeah, this, this question is cruel. And, I don't think I'm gonna but, get this. But I one. think Alicia, Alicia has the answer. It was not even a guess. It was like an answer that she oh, has. Alicia, did you see my questions before the trivia show? Somehow Alicia just got one answer wrong in the last five questions. What's your secret, Alicia? <laughs> I was born in Canada. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I try. I try to read. I try to listen. <laughs> So I, didn't, I didn't get this one. Time is ticking. I didn't get it. I'm ready. And on three, two, one, you can reveal the answers. Okay. Okay. So Mark says poutine. Alicia and Chanel say donuts. And then Prem says, Prem, can you, can you show your answer once again? Fries. Fries. All right. So we have two people oh, who got seriously. it right. We really eat more yeah. donuts than the, than the Americans? Seriously? Because yeah. of Tim Hortons. Well, they're not even very good. I'll be honest. I don't even like Tim Hortons donuts very well. They're like the cream isn't really creamy, and you know, maybe that's why I was. Trying I just to like block the sour cream glaze. Oh, did the you? plain ones? They're the best. Yeah. I would never eat more cream with too much. The icing, no. Uh, but the sour cream glaze ones are really good. Well, half of the time, the issue I have is half the time, and obviously Tim Hortons is not sponsoring this podcast, but. Half the time I go there in the evening, they don't have any selection. I like the good old days when they actually baked them right in the, you know, in the store. That was, that was where, you know, that was where things were good. And then they just started to expand and they were never quite as good after that. So well, they're technically not even a Canadian company anymore. They're right. actually owned by, I think, a Brazilian company now. So I'm right now in the home of Tim Hortons. Hopefully you're going to tell a little bit about well, who Tim Hortons was, Igor. Oh, yeah, you are. Yeah, yourself. so he was, Tim Hortons was a hockey player. And unfortunately, well, after he established this brand, um, he was killed in a car crash, if I'm not mistaken. And so this brand was taken over by his manager and his family. And so large story of disputes for the for the ownership of the brand started from there. And in fact, yes, guys, so donuts in Canada are amazing. Like, I don't know why you hate them. Well, it's like, not that I don't hate Mark. them. I, I, like, they're okay. Like, I, my favorite's the Boston cream. Like, that's my favorite. Tim Hortons okay. Donut. So here's a little fun fact about Boston cream for you. So nationally, Boston cream reigns supreme as the Tim Hortons donut that Canadians get most. So apple fritter, old-fashioned plain, honey cruller, and chocolate dip round the top five. Old-fashioned oh. plain? Blah. Like, who likes that one? Chanel, All right, look, like... guys, look, guys, just be glad you can eat your donuts because I had to go gluten free and oh. I don't get donuts anymore. So oh. enjoy your donuts. Okay, I'm not going to complain. I'm well, not going to complain. Gluten -free option? I, I've only found one gluten free. I've only found one gluten free donut and they come frozen. It's not worth And you eating. definitely can't get them at Tim Hortons. <laughs> not worth it. In, in Toronto, there's a really popular, I think, vegan 
gluten-free donut shop and they actually taste like real donuts they're super popular it's a really trendy store i can't remember the name but people who are not gluten-free not vegan they all go there and love it so maybe something like those of us who like real donuts i'm seriously questioning whether they would say they would taste delicious (laughs) you have to okay in the next episode chanel you're gonna have to let igor know what that restaurant what that donut shop is and and uh where is it again it's in toronto okay. it's on queen street okay. toronto, but i can't i i'm not a big enough donut fan to to ever go there well, our but viewers, i've got friends who love it. i'm positive that someone who's who's listening to this will know so trivia at holthylaw.com sent an email and let us know what that place is and we'll give them a shout out yeah like my mom came to canada like in january and so the first day I took her to Tim Hortons as the the most Canadian place you can ever imagine. And she fell in love with those donuts. Like, I swear to God, like she was going to Timmy's every single morning. She could not start her day without like an input of sugar in her in her bloodstream. And I introduced her to Boston cream and then she tried honey cruller. Oh, yeah. oh my God. That's number two for that me. was yeah. honey crullers are yeah. number two for me. Her life was separate into before Timmy's and after Timmy's. <laughs> yeah. She absolutely fell in love with this. But let's get to the next question. The next question is from a history section. So this historic place is depicted on a Canadian currency. Yet this place is not located in Canada. What is this place? Oh, come on. I'm not getting this right, Igor. I don't know what this is. Can you give us a hint, Igor? Yeah, it's on... No hints, no hints. And every single day. Says Mark, who's like cross-examining Igor on every question. (laughs) Well, I was trying to understand what the heck he was asking in the first place, so. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, how difficult is currency? Like, it's currency. It's either coins or bills. So, one of the two. Depicted on them. It's not in Canada. So, do do you need the location or the... No, no, no. Like, so what's the name of this place oh. that is depicted on a Canadian currency? It's a historic place. And this place, ironically, is not located in Canada. But it's... What, what significance does it have to Canada, then? Oh, yeah, it is significant, Chanel. It is significant. Is it closer to Canada? What, what? Is it closer to Canada, or...? Oh, um, it's irrelevant how close it is. (laughs) All right, I got my answer. I'm going to take a stab at it. I think I've got about a 25% chance of being right. Yeah. So so far, Ika leads the game. She has five answers. Mark has four answers, correct? Chanel has three. Prem has one. And let's see if we have a leader in this race by answering this question. So at three, two, one, guys, you can reveal your answers. Okay, so Mark says Dieppe, Dieppe monument, like in France, World War Two. And then Alicia, can you show your answer once again? Uh, can you move it just a little closer? 
I put it Buckingham Palace, but this is not right. That's no. that's Buckingham <laughs> Palace, you guys. It wasn't a swear. I know you thought maybe she said something nasty. It's not true. Yeah, it starts with PH, not F. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was talking about England and the Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Chanel and Prem, do you know the name of this um, historic place? Not like the country where it's located. Nothing. Okay. <laughs> to be generic, because I don't know. Okay. So we can approach it two way. Like we can not award a single point to anyone. Come on, but or close. we can award point for those who got the country right. How would you guys want to approach it? Do you want to give a point to two people or you don't want to? Wait, hey, Dieppe is in France, Igor. Yeah, okay, to, th to three people. I just got the wrong war mo memorial. It's, yeah. it's um, Normandy or somewhere, probably. I, I just went with Dieppe. <clears throat> yeah. So guys, if you take a look at the $20 bill, there is a Vinny. Memorial. Mm -hmm. That's what I was thinking. And the Vimy Monument features two 30-meter pylons and several sculpted figures, one of which represents Canada mourning her dad. Official recognition refers to the parcel of land, and this is interesting, granted by France to Canada for use in perpetuity, which is approximately 117 hectares or 290 acres. Carved on the walls of the monument are the names of 11,285 Canadian soldiers who died in France and whose final resting place was then unknown. At the base of the memorial, their words appear in French and in English to the valor of the great countrymen in the Great War and in the memory of their 60,000 dead, this monument is raised by the people of Canada. So I, I guess we either have like three winners who got a country right or we don't have a single winner. It's up to you guys. How do you want to approach it? Do you want to claim? You're, you're the judge, Igor, but I'll, I'll give you full props for that question, my friend. That was a phenomenal question. Really, really good. <clears throat> Best question yeah. I think you've asked to date. Okay. I, I think it's so, fair to give us half a point each because we got a half. Yeah, there's no half points. Let's, there's no half points. Just, just give them the point. Let's, let's I, I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess the wrong place. So. I technically, you know, and I didn't put France down, so. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's award a point to Chanel and Prem. Yeah. That's generous, but thank you. And move on to the next question, which is in the immigration law section. So in 2022, the following three countries were Canada's top immigration sources according to each immigrant's country of citizenship. The first one is India, obviously, with 111,095 immigrants. The second one is China with 31,815 immigrants. What was the third country in 2022? So just to repeat the question, so there are three top countries that contributed most immigrants based on their country of citizenship. The first one is India. The second one is China. And then we have a third country. This is economic immigration or all immigration programs? All immigration. All immigration. 
let's see how carefully you read the statistics. RCC releases each year. Yeah, so your task is to name the third country that provided more immigrants than any else um, in 2022. And I know the answer. You guys might know. Obviously, because I was preparing the question. <laughs> Dang. I'm torn. I, I think I've got it narrowed down to two. But... Mm -hmm. That's that's my problem too. I, I'm torn between the two. <laughs> Just take a guess, guys. Twenty two. Yeah. Because it's downing with <sighs> Yeah, so uh, India first and a second. Okay. What is the third country? Ready? Okay, I, I put I put down both, but I crossed out one of them just to see, just to show oh, you how. Yeah. You changed my answer, and it might have been a mistake. Yeah. But... Okay, I'm ready. Ram, do you have an answer? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at three, two, one, da da da, reveal. Okay, so we have Mark saying Pakistan, Alicia saying Pakistan, Chanel says Ukraine, and Pram says Philippines. I originally and... said Pakistan, but I crossed it out. And the moment of truth, nobody got it right. What? Yes. Nigeria? Oh my God. No. So here's the answer. Afghanistan. No. With 23,735 immigrants, which is 5.4%. And Nigeria, Mark, was the fourth country. So Nigeria had only 22,085 immigrants. So approximately 1,700 uh, immigrants short of Afghanistan. Okay, this is the refugee. I hadn't considered the refugee side. Yeah. So we had this crisis in Afghanistan, right? Mm -hmm. And apparently 23,735 people immigrated from that country. Mm. So basically 2025, my answer will be Ukraine. I guess so. I guess so. We'll see where Hopefully. that goes. Good thing we have a a very solid representative of the Ukraine community within our firm. So we're excited to see yeah. where you go, Igor, as you start your articles here with us shortly. It'll be a huge, yeah. a huge, huge blessing to your community. I'm really excited for that as well. Lots of people are wondering whether they will roll out this family-based immigration program for Ukrainians and how it will resemble other programs, but it's going to be like a sponsorship, you know, where you have to show proof of funds or it's going to be something like spousal sponsorship. So interesting. Okay, guys, let's move to the ninth question. So you have two questions left. Let's give us, a, give us a, uh, a score breakdown, a leaderboard. Yeah. So the highest chance of winning is with Alicia. Alicia has five answers so far. Mark has four answers. Chanel has 
four answers, and then Pram has two answers correct. And we still have two questions. So the ninth question sounds like this. Canada has more of these than the rest of the world combined. And I have to give a hint. So this question comes from a geography section. So yeah, Canada has more of these than the rest of the world combined. And it's Yeah. There's a whole bunch. I think there's so I think there's many answers that could be right to this, Igor. I think there's many Yeah, but like this one, think about like all of the other countries in the world and all of them combined has less of this thing or whatever of these places or so it's than Canada. Yeah, it, it comes from a geography section. Like, honestly, when I was first traveling across Canada on my way to US, I, I was surprised, like, greatly surprised. It's, it seemed like impossible. <sighs> Dang it. Oh, I want to change my answer. <laughs> All right, so. Yeah, just to repeat the question the final time. So Canada has more of these than the rest of the world combined. I'm just gonna get wrong. <sighs> okay, so on three, two, one, reveal your answer, guys. All right, congratulations. So all of you answered the word lakes. And you all correct. Wow. Congratulations. I was going to say, like, when you started waffling a little bit there, I was thinking, it's just like trees that he's trying to get at, but then like geography. <laughs> okay, this is yeah. tough because we're going into the last one. So essentially, for Chanel and I to catch Alicia, Alicia needs to get this one wrong, and we need to get it right to go into a tiebreaker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, here's a little story for you. So do you know... How many lakes are there in Canada? I'm going to say a lot. 45,000. Okay. Oh, Alicia. so many. So many. Like last summer, we drove from Alberta all the way to northern Ontario to the Bruce Peninsula. And we went the southern route all the way across like Lake of the Woods. Everything is a lake. It's all like interwoven. And I don't know how they count different lakes. So mm -hmm. I don't know. There were so many. It was more water than it looked like land. It was amazing. Yeah. Chanel, your guess? A million. <laughs> okay. And Prem? Yeah, it's about 55,000. Okay. So the exact number is unknown. That's how many lakes we have. Wow. As new lakes being continually being discovered. However, it is estimated that there are around 2 million lakes in Canada. Wow. 2 million. That's crazy. Yeah, I never would have envisioned there being 2 million, over 2 million lakes, or an unlimited, uncalculable yeah. number of lakes. Yeah. Okay. So the last question is going to be a simple one. No. No. <laughs> I can change, Mark. I can change that. I can put 
put the the hardest question on my list of unused questions saved for the next trivia. So this is Canada's most played sport. Very simple question. Very simple question. Yeah, I'm hoping. I love these sports ones, Igor. Like I'll be honest, I, I really like those. So. So no, no sports questions for the next three years. No, it's all good. But obviously it didn't help me <laughs> enough because Alicia still uh, whipped, us, whipped us again. Okay. So, yeah, again, so the question is, what is the most played sport in Canada? At three, two, one, you can show your answers. Boom. Oh my goodness. No way. I thought that was the easy question. And unfortunately, guys, nobody got the answer what? right. Nobody got it right? What? Yeah. What are you talking about? Okay. okay. So what first comes to your mind? Well, you everybody says of... hockey, but it's not the case because it's so okay. freaking expensive okay. to play. Like most kids yeah. can't afford the equipment. But soccer, you have What is the next play. What's that? sport that is expensive to play, but it's popular? Pickleball. What? Oh, tennis? Is like, that... It's got to be soccer. Like, seriously, I'm positive it's soccer, Igor. The most okay, played? So... Baseball. Yeah, like, it... no, no. Bring like, it. Okay. okay, what's this? What's this? What's the answer? And then I'm going to challenge this and it's going to go back and we're going to have to. In the new buildings, you have a public amenity that often is the room where you can play it. And it's golf. Golf? Golf? Golf. Disagree. No. I'm going to challenge it, it, you on that one. Uh, I don't think you're right. What, what's, what's the source of it? What's play. the source of it? Hopefully it wasn't Golf Magazine yeah. that you got it from. No, 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 no. Uh, like, I was told this fact a couple of years ago. Like, Canadians are crazy about golf. And so, so here's a little story for you. So it is estimated that 1.8 million people enjoy the game in Canada. The game of golf accounts for an estimated 18.2 billion of Canada's GDP. It's a huge figure and it doesn't stop there. The golf industry is also responsible for supporting nearly 200,000 jobs from coast to coast. So how many people play? Let's get let's get back to the so the, the question was million people. How many? 1.8 million. Okay. okay, I I guess. And what is it for hockey, Igor? So I, I'm not exactly sure like how how many people play hockey, but yeah, like I I thought it was an easy question. <laughs> I was like, oh, everyone will get it right. Oh my god! It's all about the disc golf now. We we all got into disc golf really heavily for the last few years, and the kids play it, and they're way better than me. And my son's in like junior rounds and actually playing competitively but disc golf is fantastic because so as soon as you have the discs you just go out and all the courses are free and there's actually fantastic disc golf in in canada as well yeah stats canada agrees with you igor yeah 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 that's crazy okay yeah ice hockey ranked second behind golf it says i don't know about those stats man. ice hockey rates second well, it says, yeah, yeah it, Stats Canada says almost 1.5 million adults were golfers in 2005. Um, um, among the 30 most popular like, sports in Canada, ice hockey ranks second behind golf, drawing 1.3 million. So I thought I was smart with soccer, but uh, 
Yeah. If I would, if you were, what, to- what do they count as golf though? Is it someone who just goes on an annual vacation once a year to a resort and plays one yeah, round I of think golf so. there, I think that or someone classifies. who plays every weekend? Like, I don't know, in, in my building, every single day during the summer, I see like tons of people going with the golf clubs, right? Mm-hmm. Golf clubs. Mm-hmm. Wow. And everyone plays it. Like the golf simulator room is always booked. You cannot get there. Oh. And it's just like, it seems like to me, people gather to play golf just to talk business, you know? And <laughs> instead of like drinking beer, they drink so, beer so and play golf. So what you're saying is we, we, uh, we're, if we were true Canadians, then we would schedule a golf retreat for the firm. Yeah. Like, I don't know, based on the no, no, answers I, I, I yeah. for the questions, maybe I'm not working in a Canadian immigration law firm. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alicia, Alicia did pretty good. So what's the final? So we've got a winner, don't we? So one, two, three, four, five, six answers right for Alicia, who is the winner of the game again today. Mark and Chanel score second. So Mark has five points and Chanel has five points. And then Prem has three points this time. That's awesome. So congratulations again, Alicia. A reigning champ, undefeated. Very cool. Awesome. Can we can we keep the name the impossible trivia? I think we can we until until someone has a chance that like gets into the eight nine echelon. I don't think uh, okay. yeah. I, I don't think we can remove impossible Canadian trivia. Okay, so we stick to the tradition of calling it the impossible Canadian trivia. And guys, if you have questions, send them to trivia at wholesealaw.com, and we will surely consider them for the next episode of the Canadian Immigration Trivia. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian immigration law policy and practice. If you would like to book a legal consultation, please visit www.holtylaw.com. You can also find lots more helpful information on our Canadian Immigration Institute YouTube channel, where you can join Mark on one of his many Canadian Immigration Live Q&As. See you soon, and all the best as you navigate this crazy world we call Canadian Immigration. Oh, Canada.